And man, as you're taking a seat, look around next to some folks near you and just say hi, give a smile. It costs nothing to smile. Wow. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you guys. So thankful that you are worshiping here at New Life Church with us this morning. It is so great to see your faces. So good to see you guys. I want to say hi to everyone who may be watching, participating from, from a distance online today. We say hi and we welcome you in to our service this morning. Listen, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 8. These verses will also flow with us on the screen. John chapter 8. We started a short series last week called Hope is Here. Uh, it's in conjunction with uh, National Back to Church uh, Sunday, which actually is today. So our neck of the woods is experiencing clouds and rain. Other parts of our country may be experiencing sunshine and warm, but uh, nonetheless, there are over 30,000 churches that have joined together with this intention that we're going to be together as one in the church. We're going to come to church. We're going to participate online as a church and uh, to make it part of our weekly routine and practice and uh, to come together as God's people. And this series that we're in is called Hope is Here. And I don't know anyone that has never been in need of hope. We are all in need of hope. And we find out in the scriptures that over, 130, over 130 times the word hope is mentioned. And that tells us that God gives hope in all different aspects of life. Whatever we may be facing, whatever we may, dealing, may be dealing with at any given time, whatever scenario, whatever situation, um, whatever it might be, God offers us hope. And hope is not a feeling. Hope is not a, an emotion. Hope is a person, and hope, that person is Jesus. Jesus is our hope, and he offers us hope, in, in, again, in so many different ways. We, we kind of kicked this off last week with a couple of thoughts out of 1 Corinthians 13. It's known as the love chapter, but at the end of that, Paul writes this type of thing, and he basically says this. He says, Right now, in our right now world where we live, we, we experience and see things in a cloudy way. Things are not all clear. Things uh, kind of remain at a mystery. Things kind of live at a place of, uh, of in, in, in just kind of imperfection. That is obviously true. But he says, but one day we will see things clear. One day we will um, know everything that we need to know. Everything will come together. And, but that one day is when we are face-to-face with God, literally in His presence. But he said, right now, we live with some unknowns. Right now, we live not able to know everything, not able to see everything for what it really is. There's a limitation. And so the question remains, what do we do in our life right now until the one day? How do, we, what do we, how do we cope? How do we deal? How do we navigate? How do we move through this life right now until that one day? And he ends that portion by saying, well, there are three things that, that God allows to remain forever. It's faith, hope, and love. And in that, we are focusing on the driving factor of hope. As I mentioned, it's over 130 times in the scriptures. God is telling us 
between for the right now until the one day. One of the things that will help carry you and move your life forward is you live with hope. You don't just live with a good thought or just a good feeling. You live with hope in Jesus. Jesus is the anchor. Jesus is the center as we sing this morning. And this, this set list today about worship was all about bringing us to that quiet place of being reminded that we cannot do life by ourselves. We cannot handle life on our own. That as good of our intentions might be, we will always come up short. And as good as the intentions of others might be, they will let us down. But Jesus will never let us down. It says that his hope does not disappoint us. His hope does not disappoint us. Sure, we may not always get everything we wanted. We may not always experience everything the way we hoped it would in our, in our kind of vernacular, in our frame of mind. But we will get everything Jesus has promised us if we will put him first and make him center and keep him center in our life because hope is Jesus. Hope is Jesus. This story here in John chapter 8, we're going to talk today about hope and specifically hope for the broken. Hope for the broken. I say that word broken and some of us might think broken. What do you mean broken? I, I don't feel broken. I feel pretty I feel pretty good. I think I'm doing okay. And the thing about being broken and brokenness is we all have experienced brokenness in our life. We, we have experienced things that by our choice or by things that have happened to us that have fractured us in ways, that have poked holes in us, that, uh, that have, we have experienced some jabs and some, and some uppercuts and, and some low blows. Life has dealt some low blows in our, in our day and time. And you live long enough, uh, even you know, going through life, you start to, and you will experience levels and measures of brokenness, things that happen in life that, that just seem to hit, that just aren't fair, things that happen that, uh, that happen to us that are that way. And there are things that by, by our own choices we get ourselves into, uh, but that does not mean God can't work from either side. God is hope, Jesus is hope from things that happen unfairly to us, uh, disadvantages and disappointments and setbacks, and God is our hope in Jesus when we make our own choices the wrong way and we don't consider what God would have wanted us to do, but he gives hope. He always gives us the rope of hope, if you will. Not trying to sound cheesy or anything like that, but that's what he does. He offers us and gives us, and he is hope in our life. And this story here in the Gospel of John chapter 8 some of your Bibles might say, have a little footnote in there that say, the, this particular story that we're going to look at today uh, did not, was not a part of the original uh, Greek manuscripts. And, um, and there was some prior to it becoming, prior to the Bible becoming officially the holy canon of Scripture, the holy Bible itself, all of it validated uh, through a process of, uh, of time and, and degrees that this story, somehow, some people wanted to leave it out. There were some scholars that wanted to leave this story out. Uh, they wanted to leave it out because they kind of got down to this place where they just could not believe that Jesus would not condemn a person who broke the law. They're like, there's no way that he would do this. And some also thought, man, Jesus in this story, there, he, he, the way he handles it, it he, they, they thought that Jesus cannot condone what has gone on here. And Augustine, one of the church fathers, talked about this story and 
described it, and, and it was said that God's grace always seems to startle the religious. God's grace always seems to startle the religious. And that's some of the key players in this story. Let's look at this. We're going to look at this in three ways. Hope for the broken. First, Jesus embraces us with hope. First and foremost, he, Jesus, embraces us with hope. Let's look at the first few verses of this story. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. It says, a crowd soon gathered, he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said, to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses said to stone her, but what do you say? And then verse 6 says, they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. This woman knew the consequences of, of her sin according to the Mosaic law. Uh, but here's the problem with part of this, is they only brought her, the, the law said the man and the woman should have been punished. For whatever reason, they left the dude out, and they brought this woman in front of everybody. And she knew, though, she knew what, was, what, were, what could potentially take place in this situation, she was at a place, literally a state of brokenness, um, she, a broken marriage. She had broken relationships, a broken family, perhaps. Uh, she was a broken person and had a broken reputation. And the thing, though, about this story is these religious people used her as a pawn. They did not care about her. They were using her as a way to try to find a way to get rid of Jesus, who had a reputation for hanging out with broken people. He hung out with broken people because he loved them. And he also hung out with broken people because he could help them. And the way he handled people startled the religious people. And she was a pawn in their game, But at this point in time, her brokenness was exposed. Everybody knew what was going on. Everybody was aware of her situation. And she was at a place of literally of just, she's lost all hope. Lost all hope because she was forced to face what was in front of her. And that's a good question for us. What do we do with our brokenness? It may not always get exposed publicly, but what do we do with our brokenness. We all have some measure of something inside of us, something, a choice we've made or things that have happened to us and maybe things that are going on right now in our life that we feel incomplete. We just don't feel all together sometimes and there's some things in our life. But what do we do with that? What do we do with our brokenness? I look at it this way. We can either ignore it and hide it which some of us are really good at that, but eventually doing that, will it'll get the best of us. We'll become worn out. 
Uh, we try to do something about it on our own. I can fix this. Just give me some time, man, and I can, I can handle my business. I can straighten myself out. I can, I can get this thing turned around, and, 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 and we can't. We try. But pretty soon we'll run out of ways and things to do to cope with it. And we just run out, seem to kind of run out of options and or we can wholeheartedly just let Jesus hope embrace us. Just let him embrace us. Some of us, though, are afraid to do that because we feel ashamed. We, we feel like we don't belong. We're not worthy. Um, how could someone like him ever love me unconditionally like that? What will, what will other people think, man, if I just start letting Jesus... Uh, hold me like that and keep me like that. Well, pretty soon people will start to realize there's hope for them too. If, if, if God can do that for you, man, he can, maybe he could do that kind of thing for me. I see, that's how, that's how it works. That's what Jesus wants to do. And if we will just accept his embrace, hope, then here's what Jesus does. He begins to change things. He begins to change things. I love this story, and it tucked away in the middle of, kind of almost the middle, just over halfway through the middle. In Jeremiah chapter 18, there's this vision that the, this weeping prophet has. I want to read these few verses because it paints a great picture of how Jesus embracing us with hope and what can happen if we let Jesus embrace us. Look at this in Jeremiah 18. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord says, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So... He made it again into another vessel. As it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands. I think too often people have this picture of God that in his hand is a hammer to bring destruction and to punish. But really, what should be in his hand are our lives. Because in his hands, we as the clay, he as the potter, that when we sometimes make choices and things happen to us, then our life doesn't turn out the way it should, so to speak. Our potter has a way, when he embraces us, our potter has a way of making it into something again. You see, the thing about God is he never gives up on us. The thing about Jesus is he never gives up on you. Okay, you may feel marred. You may have done something that had marred and scarred your life, left you in a fractured state, maybe fractured relationships, Maybe just a broken soul. Maybe never able to really just kind of get a, and turn the corner and get ahead, so to speak. But stay in Jesus' hands 
the one who embraces you with hope long enough, he will take what's marred and he will restore. And he will make it into what he sees as something good. This story, that that picture there in Jeremiah has always, always gripped me in a way. Uh, because I oftentimes in my, throughout life have felt like I've made a mess of something or I've made a mess of myself. But stay long enough in the hands of the potter, he always has a way of working beauty from ashes, of sealing up the cracks and repolishing and refurbishing and restoring and making good come from bad. But too many times people give up on themselves. They give up on the God of hope, wondering, man, I don't think God could ever really do anything with this. Could it be that you just got out of his hands and you didn't stay on the wheel long enough to give the potter time to say, ah, yeah, that's it. That shape right there. That's your shape. That that all oh, man when we, when I finish you and put you in the furnace and fire you up and and get you ready for display and use to be a vessel of honor people are going to love what I've done with you when they have seen and heard your story how you were so broke and so jacked up man and things in your life were topsy turvy and you thought you were making good but really you were going backwards and it just didn't make sense and stuff didn't come together like you thought but you stayed on my will and you stayed in my hands and you gave me the chance and you gave me the time to love you and to grip you with grace and love and tenderness and gentleness. I know how exactly how I need to hold you and form you and make you, and you stayed, and now look at what I have done in your life. And I'm going to put you on display and actually put you in use in this world because there are other people kind of like you that need to know there is a God who loves them and who is hope and who can embrace them and will not shame them but will embrace them in their brokenness. And they will let me embrace them long enough to make good come out of their life. That's what hope looks like. That's what hope sounds like. But we got to be willing to lay our lives down in the hands of God. we got to truly relinquish all control and let God our Father, Jesus our hope, the potter, take control of our life. We got to be willing, man, to let to get to let him have our mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. We're we're going to get it wrong sometimes. We're not going to get it all right all the time. And we got to be willing, man, to just go to God and say, "Look, I jacked this up, man. I, I really messed this up. That I have made a mess of some things. My intentions were good, but my the outcome was bad." I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I have made it, part of the song we sang this morning, but I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you and I let you hold me and remake me once again. You see, the thing about God the Father, Jesus the hope, is they really really never get exhausted with us. He's never exhausted with us. He doesn't roll his eyes at us. He's like, you again? I thought we got through this. Oh, really? You're going to mess that up again? No, he doesn't get tired of us. He embraces us with hope. Number two, Jesus 
encourages us with hope. He encourages us with hope. Let's start again at verse 6. It says, these religious folks, they, they said they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, All right, all right. Let the one who has never sinned or has, who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. It's been debated for a long time, what was Jesus writing in the dirt? Nobody knows. I mean, you can pretty, pretty much put a lot, of, a lot of good scenarios in there, a lot of good thoughts in there. But what he was doing, he was rewriting the narrative of this story. He was rewriting the narrative of this lady's life. And he asked these circle of accusers, Hey, anybody who has never had a sinful desire, go ahead. Throw the first stone. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then they, they slowly backed off, walked away. And it kind of gets us to thinking, who, who is in our circle? And what kind of circle are we a part of? Are we a part of stone throwers or are we a part of grace givers? Remember, the grace of God startles the religious, but it changes the broken. And so what kind of circle are we a part of and who, who's in our circle, so to speak? You see, if the church is going to be the kind of church to offer hope to the broken world, then we've got to be willing to be a community of grace givers. You see, the church is really just a group of broken people who have found hope in Jesus and have stayed long enough to figure out God actually does love me. God is patient with me. God is kind to me. God is merciful to me. God is good to me, and, and God helps me, and God changes me. God has been there for me, and God, God never fails me. God has never abandoned me. God has never forsaken me. Because Jesus said, look, I, I'm building a church, the kind of church that the gates of hell will not prevail the kind of church that gates, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the kind of church Jesus builds. Jesus builds the kind of church that can stand up in the face of hell and darkness and destruction and demise and discouragement and, and disappointment and judgment and stone throwers and say in the midst of this, I offer grace. We give grace because grace has been given to us. And that's the kind of church that withstands the ugliness in this world. 
the hatred in this world, the evil in this world, the dysfunction in this world, the chaos in this world is the kind of church that Jesus was talking about. He said, that is the kind of church I am going to build. And we, are the, we as the church, we are called to be the kind of people that gives that kind of hope to a lost and broken world. That we have come to the realization that I am not perfect, that I don't have it all together, but in the midst of me not having it all together, I am joined with the one who keeps me together. And his name is Jesus. You see, when we sing songs about, hey, Jesus be the center, just give me Jesus above all the things of this world, that's not cliché and, and religious speaking and singing. What it's saying is, man, in the depths of my heart, the only one I can count on, the only one who will keep me and hold me and be there constantly for me and understand me and get me when no one else does is Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is patient. Jesus can look at us in a way that, man, nobody else looks at us that way. And Jesus encourages us with hope because he wants to circle our life with the right kind of people. We call it, the Bible calls it community. It's not just a cute word for gathering together and hangouts and barbecues and all the other stuff. That's kind of all part of it, wherever we might be, but... The depth of it is, man, it's, it's a, it's a faith-to-faith, a shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, a, a prayer with a prayer to each other, a word for a word being there in the, in the trenches of life with each other, celebrating on the mountaintops and walking through the valleys with one another. That's what church looks like. And, God, and Jesus is saying, I, I encourage you with hope because what I'm doing is I'm putting you in a circle of people who are going to be there to help you and you help them and you all are working together to work this thing out, walk this thing out and be the light and be the hope that I've called you to be on this earth. See, it's not about just getting snatched out of the pits of hell. It's not just about getting free from our brokenness. It's not just about getting pulled from the mar of life and from the downside of life. It's, it's more than that. God does that, Jesus does that, but he turns it all around and he puts us back out into this world and says, look, show the people around you what I am capable of doing with your life. Talk to people, build relationship with people. Stick with people. Show people what it's like to be patient in the midst of long-suffering through situations. So that's what I do with you. And that's what I'm calling you to do with each other. And the church is the last place where we lay blame and, and cast judgment of stones. It's a place where we offer grace. And I love this, this, this uh, part of the way, the way James kind of writes it out in James chapter 5. Let's take a second and look, look at that. James 5, verse 16. He writes, hey, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It says, Elijah was a human like we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, no rain fell for three and a half years. But then when he prayed again, the sky went... The sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops because 
of an earnest, heartfelt, genuine prayer. But notice what he puts in this package here. And it's a picture of how the church is called to be with each other. He said, confess. Not, no, not condone, but also not condemn. But confess. Basically, it's saying, live your life before one another, acknowledging that you're not perfect. Acknowledging that you don't really have it all together. Acknowledging that you have shortcomings. Acknowledging that you have weaknesses. Acknowledging that you have things going on in your life that you know you need the help of God. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. You need Jesus to really do something here. So that's what he's, that's what James is getting at. It's not about walking around saying, hey, man, guess what, man? I need to tell you all the dirty business in my life. That could be part of it as brother to brother. But what he's getting at deeper is just live life as a community of believers without looking down on each other, without thinking, I got this. You should have this by now. How long have you been walking with the Lord? Come on. Better than that, man. Uh. Just acknowledge. I got issues. You got issues. All God's children got issues. But that's not what churchianity teaches us to do, does it? It teaches us to come to church, smile, look our best, dress however we need to to make everybody else think, I ain't got no problems. I'm good, right? That's what churchianity teaches us to do, a.k.a. Religious, religion teaches us to do, is to dress up our life in such a way to make people think, man, uh, surely by now I would have had this together, but I'm not going to let you know I don't have it together, and I'm just going to pretend and worship with you, raise my hand with you, and just sing along with you, and put my tithe money in, and just think and make you believe I got my life together. We're all at different places of spiritual growth and maturation. That's the difficulty of leading a congregation of multi-generations and putting myself right in the middle of everybody is that from the youngest to the oldest, we all have some measures of brokenness going on in our life. And if we would just live this way. Acknowledge, I am weak today. Will you pray for me? And you don't have to preface it with, please don't think bad of me. Don't judge me. Right? People like to say that. But here's what it means. It's just, I know you love me. I know you don't look down on me. I know you don't look bad at me. You believe in me. But here's the deal. I'm hurting I'm struggling, right? The struggle is real, y'all, right? I'm struggling. Here's the deal. This week, man, here's where I found myself. Will you just pray for me and believe God that the Holy Spirit will do a work in this situation and the next time I'm faced with this, I won't act like a fool or I won't think that or I won't do that or I won't say that or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying. And that's what that means. That's what that means. And Jesus 
encourages us with hope because he knows that, man, when my church acts right, when my church really has it all going together and working for the good, there are, there are glimpses throughout this, the last 2,000 years of when the church at different times across the board has gotten it right. And Jesus is like, if you would just stay right there where it all is working right, this whole world would be saved. Everybody would hear the gospel. Everybody would have a chance. But I can't tell you how many times over the last several weeks I've heard stories of people who are just so broken and burnt out on church because they were hurt at such a younger age or they saw someone they knew get treated a certain way. Now, I know we can misuse that word church hurt. I get that. But there are viable times where people have hurt one another and never apologized. Never even tried to make things right. But at the same time, we are still responsible for our own actions and we can't blame other people for what we do with our life. We still have to own our stuff. Because sooner or later, we're still going to be held accountable for what we did or we didn't do. But if we would just live like this, if we could just make ourselves live like this, Jesus encourages us with hope because he puts us in a community of people that get that Jesus is the only one who can help. He's the only one that can hold us together. And then those last couple verses there in James 5 says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that person back will, will, will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. The kind of church we're called to be is a community that welcomes and a community that restores. A community that welcomes and a community that restores, a.k.a. encourage people with hope. Encourage people with hope. And then thirdly, Jesus embraces us with hope. Jesus encourages us with hope. You guys want this last one? Okay. Jesus empowers us with hope. I love this part right here. This part of the story kind of brings it all together. Look at this in verse 10. So Jesus stood up again. He said to this woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus not only puts the broken pieces of our life together, but he holds us together. He holds us together. See, the hope that we find in God is one who loves us just the way we are, but loves us so much that he does not leave us the way we are. What kind of God would that be? To just love me where I'm at, but then not to have the power and the strength and the ability to pull me out of where I'm at? See, he does. He loves us so much. And the hope we find in that kind of God is he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us where we are. He calls us out. He, Jesus said, hey, anybody here accusing you anymore? And she said, no, Lord, capital L, meaning she understood. She saw something in this conversation, the way this man, Jesus, handled this situation. 
she heard something in his voice. This is, that's the Messiah. He's the one who has come to save all the broken people. There was something maybe in his voice, compassion. Maybe there was, there was something in the way that he looked at her, unlike all the other people looked at her. Maybe there was just something in the gracefulness of, of his hand and how he wrote in the dirt. He said, no accuser? She said, no. She recognized Jesus. This is the real deal. And then he said, hey, neither do I. Neither do I put you down. Because you see, the law said there had to be two witnesses. All those other witnesses were gone. And Jesus was standing there with this woman. And he goes, there's no other witnesses. And I'm not going to be a witness against you either. I will not put you down. I do not condemn you. I, I do not condemn you. I also don't condone it. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to free you from your broken life. Go and sin no more. I love that part about Jesus. Because if, we, if he just loves us where we are and we stay where we are, we're going to continue to be broken people forever struggling in our broken cycles of life. But he says, look, there's more to me than just that. I have the power to free you from your brokenness. I not only have the power to, offer, to give you hope, but I give, you I give you hope that empowers you to be different, to change, to be everything that I have created you to be. He threw out to this lady this rope of hope to pull her up and to pull her out of her rejection, her demise, all of the things of broken pieces of her life. And he said, look, I'm pointing you in a brand new direction now. What you thought you needed what you thought you had to have to make you feel good, to make you feel complete, to make you feel somebody. He said, no, you're going to go opposite of all of that. I'm pointing you in a brand new direction, and I'm empowering you to be free from your broken life. I'm empowering you to be free from your broken life. Close your Bibles, notebooks. Here's the, I want to end with this right here. Someone who experienced brokenness in their life, who, who was called to be a leader of God's people, whose name was completely changed. One we've kind of talked about a little bit, and we'll talk some more about in our Acts series later on, is Saul to Paul. And he wrote these words right here in Ephesians 1. Just listen to these words. He said, it's in Christ that we find out who we are. In Christ. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and we got our hopes up, Christ had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living part of the overall purpose that he is working out in everything and in every one. I love that. Everything, every one, whatever situation is, whatever it might be in your life, that's everything. And whoever you might be, that's everyone. 
God specializes in covering the earth with his love and his hope in Jesus. And he says, look, it's only in Jesus that you're going to find out who you are, who you really are. It's only in Jesus that you're going to find out your purpose for why you're here. And that pertains to everything, every situation, and to everyone, every person. See, I have brokenness, but in Christ Jesus, I am accepted. I have brokenness, but in Christ Jesus, He puts me in a community of people to be encouraged. In Christ Jesus. I have brokenness, but in Christ, I am not my brokenness. Today, you may feel like, man, I, I wear the label of brokenness. And it has seemed that I am nothing but what I feel that I am today. That my life has gone through so many t- changes and so, so many spirals and turns that I, I've forgotten what road I'm supposed to be on. Forgotten what path I'm, I'm called to live on. I've tried so many different ways. You are not your brokenness. Somebody needs to hear this. You are not your divorce. You are not. You are not. Somebody else needs to hear, you are not your sin. You are not your mistake. You are not your habit. The enemy would like to make us think that we are. But the good news is, the end of the book in Revelation 12, it tells us that the accuser of the brethren, Satan, has been cast down, has been defeated. And Jesus destroyed death, hell, and the grave on the cross and through the resurrection. And he actually went and got the keys back. Only the one who holds the keys can drive the bus. Jesus holds the keys. And he unlocks the door. And he says, come on and take a ride with me. You don't have to know all the stops. You don't have to know all the, where you're going. I already know where you need to go. And listen, when you get on my bus, you don't have to bring any baggage because I free you from what you're carrying. I free you from what has broken you. And when you ride on my bus, we're going to talk. We're going to exchange conversation. And I'm going to let you know, oh, I know all about you. But I don't look down on you. No, I'm here to help you. If you're able to stand, all of us can stand to our feet. I just want to pray for us today. What do we do with our brokenness? Do we try to hide it and ignore it? And hope, man, sooner or later time... We'll deal with my stuff. Do we try to handle it all on our own and fix everything? Or 
Will we just let Jesus, our hope, hold us? Help us. And do his work in our life. Because he makes no mistakes with what he creates. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we bow before you today, not trying to pretend. But just yielding to you, acknowledging your love for our life. Lord, we acknowledge the areas of our life that are broken. There's been some things in us where we've tried to maybe ignore and try to fix on our own, but unsuccessful. Keeps coming back. Keeps coming back. But we decide today we're going to put ourselves in your hands. We're going to lay ourselves down in your embrace and let you hold us let you pick us up. And as you do that, you restore us. You remake. Because you know what to do with us. And so, Lord, right now, in the mess of our life, in the brokenness of our life, in the unsure parts of our life, we just say, come, Jesus, embrace me. And Lord, help me to embrace the community of people you've put around me. Help me, Lord, to find those connections, those relationships where I can just acknowledge, hey, pray for me. And where I can also be used to be asked, hey, pray for me. Work that in us, oh God, as a church, to be that kind of a community that shows the world. We don't condone, we don't condemn, but what we do is we gather to be grace givers. And God, give us the strength and the power to be changed to be changed and to be who you have created us to be because there's always hope in you. We honor you now. We give you thanks for being real in our life today by bringing and being hope in our broken places. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.